Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Jan Wong, author, journalist, educator. Welcome back. Thanks. Nice to be back. Today on the show, tankies, gaslight Uyghurs, and Catherine Porter gets Cortland cronked. <laughs> Jan, am I just making funny sounds? Or were those actual words that carry meaning? It's beautiful. Thank you. It's beautiful. You could be a poet. It's a certain kind of poetry. Let's get into it. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Jeff Horseman, Greg and Jen Hamilton, Harmack Mill, Natasha Silva, Josh Williams, Ashley Sims, Katarina Thorson, and Andrew. I'm Andrew. I'm a furniture maker in Stratford, Ontario, and I support Canada Land because I think it's important to have completely independent journalism doing the good work. Fairly remarkable uh, day in the House of Commons watching this China vote play out. 266 to zero to call China's treatment of the Uyghur population, the Muslim minority in Western China, a genocide. The prime minister considered it safest to stay out of the house altogether. Okay, so conservative MPs, liberal MPs, NDP MPs vote unanimously to call what China is doing to its Uyghur Muslims genocide. But Jan, if when I just said unanimous, you thought that that meant that every member of parliament voted for that motion, 
you might miss the fact that not one member of Trudeau's cabinet or Trudeau himself voted in favor of that. They just sat the whole thing out. They abstained while every other liberal MP, every backbencher voted for it. Brilliant. What incredible brinksmanship from Justin Trudeau. Uh, I didn't call it a genocide. You know, my government didn't call it a genocide. I'm sure that Beijing will accept that without question or concern. Yeah, the thing about this kind of dancing around is that it doesn't fool Beijing. So you may as well embrace it and show that you have some morals and some integrity. You don't win any points like this. It just looks absurd. This is all symbolic warfare. This is all optics. So, uh, you know, for our purposes in trying to kind of like read this through the coverage and through the political messaging and the social media coverage, it's like, I don't know. I, I think the conservatives sensed an opportunity because you had Trudeau with this like just ridiculous, morally indefensible position where, you know, having previously said that Canada committed genocide against indigenous people, he's like, well, that's a loaded term, you know. <laughs> I don't know if we could really say that that's what China's doing to the Uyghurs. And I think they saw an opportunity uh, and a vulnerability and uh, a way to embarrass him. So they, they launched this motion, and this is how he deals with it. So, so now I'm confused. It was a brilliant political move that conservatives don't usually have very many brilliant political moves. And uh, I think Trudeau fumbled. Can I use that football metaphor? I think he fumbled it. And he should have just gone with it. It's not going to help him at all with China. I don't know what he thinks he's doing. I don't think he understands how to deal with China at all. He thinks it's it's going to be somewhat pleasing to them if he doesn't actually vote on it. But they're pretty mad at Canada. So he may as well have just gone all in. It doesn't help to stand on, on the sidelines and watch this. It helps the conservatives. And I, I think I agree with you that it was a smart move on their part. And, and like, I've been kind of like thinking like, what are they lately? Like, you know, before this move, it's like in a post fossil fuel world, in a post Trump world, like what is Canadian conservatism? What does it stand for? What did it stand for under Scheer? What does it stand for under O'Toole? And this seems like a strong play in redefining themselves and giving themselves some gravitas. Trudeau is compromised on China. He's very vulnerable. So now let the conservatives be the party of, <laughs> of like, respecting human rights internationally? Yeah, it's really weird. And so then all the people who are pro-human rights now find themselves aligned with the conservative party. So it's kind of weird, but that's the way it is. Uh, it's just the the politics of of criticizing a genocide. And, and for Trudeau to say, well, we need more investigation is totally absurd. When it comes to the application of the very specific word genocide, uh, we simply need to ensure uh, that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed in the processes uh, before a determination like that is made. There's been so much reporting on it for years now for him to say, well, we don't really know if this is a genocide. Just makes him look really pathetic. And especially in the context of China holding the two Michaels, it's just so weak. And China doesn't respect weakness at all. The journalism has been solid and compelling. But, you know, genocide is about getting rid of people. And the Uyghur's population growth decreased from 11.4 per thousand people in 2017 to 6.13 in 2018, in, in a year. Like, that's like half of the population growth disappeared. So they're like forced sterilization, but then cultural, gen like getting rid of what it means to be a Uyghur, getting rid of the language, getting rid of the religion, so there's no more Uyghurs. That's genocide. We'll get back to that, but I don't know how you get around that at this point. And 
I get it. We're so reliant on them commercially, but it's so weird getting back to the optics of this. I mean, like, so do we buy the cons- the conservatives are putting the morals of this ahead of of our financial relationship ahead of the economic impact? Is that the topsy-turvy world that we're in now? Well, no. Conservatives know they can do this. They can play the genocide card because they're not responsible for the economy. Right. They get to say this without taking responsibility for it. And Trudeau feels he can't because he has to deal with the realities of China and the trade. However, as I said, they don't really respect weakness. And they're not going to make any distinction between the cabinet voting or not voting, and that it was unanimous in, in Parliament outside of, you know, the abstentions from Trudeau's team. So it was a safe move for the Conservatives. When you're not in, in power, you can say things like that. If they were in power, they probably wouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I mean, when they were in power, they, they didn't even like the idea that uh, of accepting that we had committed genocide. So I guess by Conservative, like, if you're keeping score at home... <laughs> Conservatives say that Canadians did not commit genocide, but China is committing a genocide. Exactly. And and according to uh, the Trudeau Liberals, Canada did, but China is not. Not yet. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody has their own, you know, back agenda. Uh, but I think it's very good. It's very good that they had this motion in Parliament, and it's it, it makes you proud to be from Canada it, that our, our Parliament did vote on this and there weren't any any Weasley votes. They were unanimous. I'm just going to ignore the cabinet. <laughs> you can see this as a strategic bit of politics of convenience, but also feel good about that. Like it is the, it's yeah. the right politics, even if it's yeah. just uh, strategic. And whatever moral authority that this conferred upon O'Toole, he immediately burns it off and squanders with this, <laughs> this ad where he's like, I've got a new office for Trudeau, a porta potty. I know. Aye, aye, aye. I know. Well, that's why they've not done too well, right? They lucked out on this brilliant political move, but generally speaking, there's there's no brilliance there. The second part of the way that this weird upside down world we're in, where conservatives are crusading for human rights and human dignity and against genocide, is that like, what does this mean for progressives and for the far left? And ah, uh, weird stuff is happening. I think I think it all can get tracked back to a couple of media sources, like. Gray Zone, this site that that uh, like essentially there is this coalescing narrative amongst I guess far left voices that we are being tricked into a new Red Scare Cold War and we shouldn't be fooled and the case for Uyghur genocide has not been made it's media manipulation and so we have you know friend of the podcast Andre Domiz, uh on Twitter saying that now we're going to see economic sanctions against Beijing on this faulty premise that they're, you know, no, they haven't really made the case for genocide. Youth for the NDP, not officially connected to the NDP, but like there's this growing consensus that like, don't be fooled by this American imperialist anti-China thing. There is no genocide on the Uyghurs. And I'm like, I, I don't know, Jan. I mean, like, I mean, if we can talk about this, I think that you have had some experience <laughs> with being dissolute. You know, I with, knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, do you really want to cape for... Uh, I totally understand this crazy hard left stuff because, as you were about to say, you know, way back in my distant murky past, I was a Montreal Maoist and I went to China in 1972 during the Cultural Revolution and completely embraced everything. Mm -hmm. So when I see these people 
saying, oh, no, this, you know, we can't ally with American imperialism. This Uyghur thing could be fake news. We can't. I just, I understand where they're coming from, but, you know, you got to wake up and you cannot let this ideology blind you to a genocide. I find it really sad, kind of. I have lived under Chinese rule, and it's not great. It's not wonderful in Ontario where um, Doug Ford, I keep wanting to call him Rob, where, where Doug Ford is screwing up the vaccine rollout, and they get this old general to, to try to manage it, and he can't. That's not great. But let me tell you, in China, if you're over 60, you're not going to get the vaccine. And that's a whole other story. I may save it for my duly noted. But, you know, this is still a much better system. So these hard left people are hard left and they've never lived under communism or under a, a dictatorship. And until they do that, I think they should shut up. I mean, I don't know if we could even consider China in this day and age as like anything that Marx ever envisioned. And I'm not going to uh, like, I don't know what the best, they're all pretty flawed. And But I mean, I, I try to like maintain myself in the reality of, of like demonstrable facts. And there's just something that's so gross about, I mean, be a skeptic, be a doubter, check your facts. But I've been following these like accounts of the industrialized detainment, re-education, sterilization of Uyghurs, and at some point it becomes pretty dirty to say like, oh, those are all just like what false flag actors with those accounts. Yeah, or people saying it's education camp, it's training. No, 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 it's not. It, these are detention camps. Yeah, I think that it's it's tricky when you let ideology become more important than people. It's very dangerous. And having gone there myself, I have a little bit of sympathy for those people, but really they need to wake up. And, and to suddenly say all these journalists are making it up is absurd. Jan, you are an old hand at Shortcuts, one of the greatest. And so you know that we duly note things here. Can I duly note something to you? Yes. British Columbia Provincial Health Officer... Dr. Bonnie Henry. She has a new book. And I think we're going to have tons of fanfare and publicity for, for this new Bonnie Henry book, Be Kind, Be Calm, Be Safe. Her publisher uh, describes it as such. Dr. Henry's transparency, humility, and humanity became a beacon for millions of Canadians. Jen, what I want to duly note here is something that was brought to my attention by a group of very passionate and perturbed and angry British Columbians who came to me and said, you've got to talk about Bonnie Henry. It's time that somebody talks about Bonnie Henry. Oh. And I'm like, well, what, what's going on? And because I, I only knew Bonnie Henry as this like glorified, celebrated, like, you know, we need heroes in this. Right, right. And she had a pair of shoes, funky shoes designed for her. Pretty funky shoes by Fluvog. I mean, you know, yeah. there was just like so much universal acclaim for her. The New York Times. And a song. There's a song for Bonnie Henry. The Globe and Mail said she's a calming voice in a sea of coronavirus madness. Okay, so what's the dirt? Come I'm getting on. there. <laughs> the, the, the Times, the New York Times, which we'll talk about more in a minute, the New York Times wrote that she is one of the most effective public health officials in the world, lauded for her intelligence, her strength, her humility, her collaboration, empathy and emotion. God bless Bonnie Henry. Rafi asked if she's single. 
Jan Wong. Right. Oh, Rafi. Okay. So now I'm getting these tips. You got to talk about the real Bonnie Henry. And I said, well, what do you mean? And man, they just flooded me in evidence. And they said, what is this narrative that Bonnie Henry is the one who got it right? They say, you know, the curve is is dropping off everywhere else in Canada. But in B.C., the number of new cases reported daily has been going up. The number of active cases and seven-day rolling average is the highest in a month. The testing rates in B.C. are lower than other major provinces. They have the worst compliance with COVID rules in the country, says the CBC. They've got all these outbreaks in schools and they're variant cases, but they're not shutting the schools down. I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound great, but do we really want to make Bonnie Henry responsible for every bad COVID thing? And Jen, these people tell me she is partly responsible. She has been the one saying that you don't, like right now in British Columbia schools, students at their desks aren't wearing masks. Ah, okay. Months after masks were mandatory, any indoor public setting in Ontario, you could still go to a healthcare facility in BC without a mask. And to this day, you go to school, you got to wear a mask. But when you sit down at your desk, you can take it off. And Bonnie Henry herself has said, yeah, we don't really see evidence that it's, it's spread when they're sitting at desks. Oh, I'm like, oh, how do you even know if it's being spread at the desk versus in the hallway? I don't know that you could detect that. Unless you don't breathe at the desk. If you don't breathe at your desk, then I think she's right. I mean, I guess if like she's saying, well, if they're spread out far enough but but like why why not no, make no. the kids like you're indoors kids can wear the masks but this whole idea that kids can't wear the mask interesting it goes on and on jan they sent me stuff that you know uh bonnie henry was like saying oh the variants she was kind of downplaying the risk she was saying testing this rapid testing you need three trained professionals to administer a rapid test that's not true so mounting evidence of bonnie henry not being the covid hero did it convince me that the cult of bonnie henry is bullshit jan I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I am not a scientist. I'm not even a health reporter. I am a media reporter. So I will only duly note this. When the hell did she find time to write a book? Oh, that's a good one. You know what You're I'm right. saying? And now she's promoting right. it to Paul Wells and she's going to be doing like she wrote a book. She co-wrote Do you know who the publisher is? The publisher is the same publisher that her sister is a high-ranking editor. Okay, that's why I'm asking. That is exactly. Lynn Henry yeah. is a bigwig at Random House Doubleday, Yeah, they right? co-wrote this book. So oh, maybe the sister on. wrote the book and Bonnie Henry's oh, just saying. Okay, well, I'm not going to read that one. Duly noted. Jan, what would you like to duly note? Well, since we were talking about the Uyghurs and China and the vote in Parliament, I'd like to duly note something I already said, which is the vaccine for China. I was phoning a friend in Beijing, a Canadian friend, and he just sort of let slip that they weren't vaccinating anyone over 60 in China. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, he was fine because he's drunk the Kool-Aid. I said, I don't believe it. And then after I hung up, I checked it out and I found oblique and peripheral references. Yeah, they're not vaccinating people over 60. And I just want to say for the record, I'm over 60. So actually, when I was in China during the Cultural Revolution, and I studied at Peking University, all my classmates are in the cohort of people over 60. And we know that COVID affects people more seriously when they're older. So I just want to also say that this cohort of mine from the Cultural Revolution, they suffered at every phase of their lives. They suffered during the Great Leap Forward in the late 50s when they were like eight years old. They didn't have enough food. Some of my classmates at Peking University had prematurely white hair from malnutrition. And then 
their uh, schools got shut down when they were just finishing elementary school, just about to start high school because of the Cultural Revolution, all the schools closed. And then to get into university was extremely difficult. So my classmates were lucky, but our whole university education was downgraded because it was during Mao's last breaths and we had all this political stuff. We didn't learn anything. And then when they graduated, the one-child policy kicked in. So when they were ready to get married, they were only allowed to have one kid. And then they were forced into premature retirement at the age of 45 because there weren't enough jobs for the young people. And now, now with this COVID, they're not getting the vaccine. And I think it's tied into China's uh, vaccine diplomacy. China wants to give a lot of the doses to Africa and other places where it wants to wield influence. So I think this story has been ignored. And I think it's really a sign of the lack of a free press in China, that it's not covered. And also people don't vote, right? So you know, in Canada, where they've just announced in Ontario, those over 80 are finally going to start getting vaccinated in the third week in March, and then 70-year-olds and up in May 1st, and then 60-year-olds and up June 1st. So, you know, if we didn't have a vote in Canada, of course, no one give the vaccine to old people. I just think it's fascinating in China that they can do this. And, and it doesn't even spark an article anywhere in the world. Okay, so that's shocking. And as you were telling me about it, I was like, can that possibly be true? I mean, it sounds like just this mercenary, we're just going to like sacrifice our elderly. Mm -hmm. Put them out on the ice flows. So I, I was searching that while you were talking. Oh, you're so tricky. Okay. And to the extent that we trust Chinese state news, Xinhua reported last month. Mm -hmm. I saw that. That they're going to start. That they're going to start. That on Which January confirms. It confirms that they had not been doing so right. up till then. So that seems true. And there's no date in that story, correct? There is no date. It says they're going to start, but it doesn't say when. Exactly. So that's just more propaganda. I don't believe it. Oh. So what did that mean? I mean, we're told that China, they're past the pandemic in many places. Wouldn't their death rates be just completely, if that was true? Exactly. You got it. You got it. So I said to my friend, oh, that's really terrible. What is the death rate in old age homes? And he said, oh, nothing. So in other words, of course, there has to be, right? There has to be. And so what they're doing is they're, they're probably attributing a death to something like pneumonia or a heart attack or a breathing problem. They're not calling it COVID. I mean, I'm I don't know because mm -hmm. there's no stories, but you can't have no death rate in nursing homes. There's no China exception. So I, I think it's fascinating. And, and then I, my friend who's- That's uh, horrifying. It's horrifying. And he said, oh, well, the reason is they don't have any data. And you'll read some other stories when you go, if you want to dive into this, they don't have any data on people over 60. Well, that's a choice. That's a political decision. Duly noted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody 
half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Jan, I want to tell you what I've learned about Canada through the New York Times. (laughs) Going by the New York Times, I've learned that Canadians are generally decent people, you know? (laughs) <laughs> we've been handling, we've been okay. We've been handling the pandemic by obsessing about these adorable foxes that live under the boardwalk in the right. beaches neighborhood of Toronto and just by watching our prime minister grow his hair out uh, with fascination. We took a break from those activities for sea day <laughs> celebrations and then it's back to the foxes and to Justin's hair. But I have learned from the paper of record that there is a dark side to Canadians. <laughs> during the coronavirus pandemic. It turns out that we are nasty little snitches. And I'm going to quote here from the New York Times. Canadians might be known internationally as nice, apologetic, and fair-minded, but a year after the pandemic arrived, some Canadians worry it has exposed a very different national persona, judgmental, suspicious, and vengeful. COVID (laughs) shaming has become fervent in parts of the country, with locals calling for the heads of not just politicians and doctors breaking the rules, but their own family members and neighbors. Holy shit! (laughs) What the hell is this about? Did you read this story? Yes, I did. I did. So it turns out it's about Cortland Cronk. It turns out that uh, the example upon which this whole argument about Canadians uh, rests is this guy, Cortland Cronk, who we, we learn from the New York Times. It's just like a regular guy, traveling salesman, minding his own business. Poor guy caught COVID. And next thing you know, he's just getting mocked mercilessly online, death threats. He's forced to leave his hometown and move to Victoria, <laughs> where, you know, I guess all he does, you know, his desire for privacy from this online harassment is such that he spends his time just walking through the woods, staring off into the distance. For a Times photographer. While the 
Times photographer takes a picture of him and says here he is in his new home where he doesn't want to be bothered in the New York Times. This was seized upon because, of course, Cortland Cronk is known to Canadians as a guy who is known to Canadians. We don't know the names of people with COVID. We don't have snitch lines where we're exposing the names of people who have COVID. He went to the CBC. That's why we know. <laughs> he outed himself. Yes. Yes. He, he also lied. I mean, I worked in... New Brunswick for nine years and I'm mm. talking all the time to my friends there and I'm following the CBC Fredericton there and I, I'd never heard of this guy until I read the New York Times and suddenly he's the most famous guy in New Brunswick and yet nobody in New Brunswick ever brought him up. I'm, I'm constantly in touch with my students, my graduates and my friends. So this whole idea that he's famous is like, no, he's not famous. But he did, he did out himself. First of all, he talked about he did an Instagram post about how he's losing his sense of taste. He he lied to people. He didn't self-isolate when he came back from his uh, many travels. And then he, you're right, he called the CBC and said, let me, let me give you an interview <laughs> and tell you who I am. And then he's <laughs> kind of surprised and people, you know, tweet about it and call him an idiot or worse. We made fun of his name, Jen. How are the Canadians? I know. I know. Well, if you have a surname Kronk, I think it's it's good to be called Cortland for your first name. Maybe take some of the heat off the Kronk. Anyway, he's not deprived. He moved to Victoria, which is an extremely expensive place to live. But he didn't self-isolate. And, and yeah. he says there was no rule. Well, I think there is a rule. When you leave the province, you have to self-isolate for two weeks when you return. He didn't do that. He went blithely from province to province, and now he's upset. So this, so this article by Catherine Porter took a very poor example and amped it up into this uh, morality tale about how people in Canada aren't that nice. So he was not a great example to use. Can we talk a bit about Catherine Porter? Okay, a little bit. I feel bad to trash her. That's what you want to do, right? You want to trash her. Look, I have met Catherine Porter. She seems like a lovely person. I'll see her again. It'll be awkward. Okay. But this keeps happening. I think it's foreign correspondent-itis. And yeah. it's the idea that you have to sell something exotic in order to get into the New York Times. The dilemma for a Canadian correspondent for the New York Times is you can't get in the paper. I don't know what it's really like. I'm assuming you have to pitch many, many stories. I'm mm -hmm. assuming the editor goes, nah, I don't think so. Nah, I don't think so. And so you have to goose it up. You have to create a stereotype where none exists. You have to smash that stereotype. And then maybe they'll print it. And so as a result, you get these weird stories. And well, I think but, it's not just her fault. In her defense, mm -hmm. it's a pretty tough job. Everybody else thinks, oh, sweet, you know, you got this great job, you work for the New York Times. It's really tough because as Canadians, we have trouble defining ourselves, right? And so as you're the foreign correspondent, because we're a foreign country compared to the U.S., but they don't even know us. They don't even know what our time zones are. They don't know where Ottawa is. It's really hard to get their attention. So she's in this impossible, she has an impossible job. I want to discuss everything you just said, because on the one hand, I could I could argue to the contrary. Look, look, they set up a Canada bureau and she is she runs it and, the, and they dedicated a bunch of reporters to covering Canada and they've been marketing the hell out of their product here, selling it to Canadians. So we're not just people that they're writing about. They're people who, who they are marketing their news to. You know why? 
because there's a lot of Canadian subscribers. They're doing better than most Canadian papers at getting Canadian subscribers. Yeah, right? so it's a vicious circle. Well, that's a good thing. That should be a good thing. That, yes, if you, if you want to have Canadian uh, readers give them cover Canada. But I think that you hit the nail on the head because, and this actually is something that I know you encourage your students. This gets to like a very, a very interesting thing about reporting itself. I know that you encourage your students to go take a job way off in a, in a small community somewhere. Yeah. Not just because that's where you can get a job, or traditionally you can. I don't think you can anymore. But But I remember you saying this because then the people who you cover, you're going to have to run into them in the supermarket. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's a big difference between doing journalism for the people. It's about the people who it's for. I'm telling you stories about your community so that you have information, but I got to look you in the eye. And if Mm -hmm. I burn you as a source or if I misrepresent you, you no one's going to talk to me anymore. Yeah. Versus I've gone to some place where there's weird people doing weird things and I'm going to report back to New York about what these weird people are doing and I'm not responsible to them if I get it wrong. The thing about Catherine Porter, and I think that she probably is under tremendous pressure to kind of like challenge the narrative about Canadians or tell us unexpected surprising things about Canadians, but then... She just always gets it wrong. And people have been picking apart some factual problems with the Cortland Cronk story. But it's more about that she just like describes us in these sweeping terms. Canadians are calling it Sea Day. Um, <laughs> and we don't. What is Sea Day? Sorry. What is Sea Day? That was Cannabis Day when cannabis became legal. Canadians are calling it Sea Day. Oh, no. We, nobody called it Sea Day. People were in her mention saying, I have done a Google search on the term Sea Day and no one says that. Yeah, I and never And she just heard won't that. respond. And when, when she went up north and, and did this piece, uh, sh- she won't answer to the community that she's writing about. She won't yeah. respond to people who point out the really big problems. Like, look. Catherine Porter's hustle here is a hustle I'm familiar with. I have gone to American editors. You can tell American editors anything about Canada. Like what, you know, when when I was promoting the Canada Land book, I'd go to American editors and say, "Hey, everybody thinks the Canadians are nice. I got a book about what Canadians are yeah. really like. Can yeah. I write for you?" Yeah. And the, and the level of fact checking was like, "Well, you're Canadian, so I guess you know what you're talking about." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an old hustle. Canadians have been doing it in the states for a long time. It's just that it's Catherine Porter's job. To like pimp out these Canadian stories. Yeah, to pimp new- out. That's, a, that's uh. a really good. I think it's hard. Uh, yeah. I, I hate to trash a, a fellow journalist because I think it's a hard job. But, you know, he wasn't a good example. And if you're going to pick him, at least be tough on him. You lose your credibility when you make him into the hero. He did not self-isolate. He lied to the tailor in Fredericton that he associated with. He went to the CBC. So she would be less vulnerable if she wrote a balanced story. Also, I think she spelled St. John wrong, which is a unforgivable sin in, in Atlantic Canada. You, it's S-A-I-N-T. Yeah, you got to spell the whole. Yeah, you know. it's not abbreviated. So that really ticks everyone off. But that's unreasonable because nobody ever knows how to spell it if you don't live there. But it wasn't done right. He's not a perfect, he's, he's not, he's a publicity hound. He's a weed head. You know, let's, let's go with the program at least or find somebody else. She had a pregnant woman there who, who was upset because nobody wanted to come to her baby shower or something. But hello, no one's having baby showers. So, you know, you got to be as tough on your subject as you are on the general population that will never look you in the eye. Right. That's probably your editor who's saying, you know, I don't think this is I don't think this holds. There's a problem with the story. But 
probably they just bought into this this fable of nice Canadians. And actually, it's true. They are nice in, in Atlantic Canada. You know, they're not nice in Toronto, but <laughs> they're nice in Atlantic Canada. But they're really mad. If you are spreading COVID, they're really mad at you because they have kept it under control. They're fabulous. They're the best in Canada. And so if you screw up like that, that um, what's his name? Cortland Cronk. Then, of course, they're going to be mad at him. I would be mad at him, too. She got cronked. Yeah. Canadians right. are calling it Sea Day. <laughs> I think they meant Cronk Day. That is Canada Land Shortcuts for the week. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. And we're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Jen Wong, it's so nice to have you back on. Where can people find you? At Writer Wong. On Twitter at Writer Wong. Check it out. Our website is CanadaLand.com, where our program Commons just concluded a triumphant, incredible series on policing in Canada with, I think, the best version and, and definitive and new stuff that I haven't heard before about what happened in Port de Pic. Go listen to that episode now. It is harrowing. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Kevin Sexton. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt and theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, home of Cortland Cronk. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. Listen, if you like our podcasts, we rely on listeners to support them, to keep making them, and we want to give you ad-free versions um, and other stuff. You really should support the show if you listen to it. So uh, it's easy. Just hit the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.